but it shows the same thing. Everyone is so carefully groomed. Everybody is so produced. The whole show is scripted. Everybody's painted. They're adorned by all these artists and designers at the top of the glamour industry. All the publicists are running around protecting their people and promoting their brands at all costs. And then literally in the middle of it, smack, human nature shows up. And this David Brooks, who wrote the article, admits he doesn't know what's going on. But I think James, the brother of Jesus, does know. And he tells us. And he says, the tongue is a fire, like your tongue is a fire. You can build the heart of a lion with a strong mind and spirit. Because a lion's natural state is one of safety through courage, strength, and power. Hi, I'm the shepherd and pastor, Dr. Matt Hook. And I'm the shrink, Dr. Marty Fletcher. This is the show where theology meets psychology. Or mental health meets spirituality. Welcome to the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. Greetings, Marty Fletcher. <laughs> Greetings. Hey, Matt, how are you? I'm good. You had a good time in Florida. I did, but we got stranded. We were part of that airline thing. So we were supposed to leave on a Saturday. And then we got on the plane twice and had to deplane twice and then um, had to go to Tampa to stay. So we didn't leave till Wednesday. Oh, man. Kathy liked it, but um, I wanted to come home. It's hard when you're caught off guard. Yeah. And also there's no beach. There's a pool, but, you know, there's no beach in Tampa. We were, right. It's okay. It was okay, though. That's good. Can't really complain. I feel weird complaining about that. I was in Florida for extra time. <laughs> I Right. Must be nice. I'd take Florida for some extra unplanned time if I could get away. Hey, we are talking about, speaking of controlling our schedules, controlling our vacations, whatever. I have a topic that I want us to hit, and it's the topic of self-control. Well, that's a good one, Matt. A New York Times columnist, David Brooks, argued that America is falling apart at the seams. Hours spent driving, because everybody's working from home, are down, but traffic fatalities are up. He wrote this in January. As our classroom infractions, altercations with flight attendants, threats against public officials. And he says America is awash in anger. And all we have to do is watch the Academy Awards. I'm sure people have been talking this thing to death. Oh, yeah. But it shows the same thing. Everyone is so carefully groomed. Everybody is so produced. The whole show is scripted. Everybody's painted. They're adorned by all these artists and designers at the top of the glamour industry. All the publicists are running around protecting their people and promoting their brands at all costs. And then literally in the middle of it, smack, human nature shows up. And this David Brooks, who wrote the article, admits he doesn't know what's going on. But I think James, the brother of Jesus, does know. And he tells us. And he says, the tongue is a fire, like your tongue is a fire. And he wrote in this little book, James, in the New Testament of the Bible, chapter 3, verse 5, the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how a great forest fire is set aflame by such a small fire. And that's the first thing I wanted to say about self-control. I might be 95% in control of myself. I might be 98% in control of myself, but there's this 5% or 2% of me that is just out of control. And I think what inevitably happens in my life is that 2% leaks. It begins this out of control part of my life, whatever it could be. 
leaks into the rest of my life and starts causing trouble for all the parts of my life that I have been managing. What do you think of that? I think a couple of things. I think you're right. First of all, um, first question is, but why does the tongue move its way in that direction? But we can get to that later. The other thing that I would say uh, about that is if I were 95% in control, I may think I am, I would be doing great because I can't control my first thought. It's conditioned. I can't control my first feeling. It's conditioned. And if we go with that first response, then we could get into some trouble, but I'm not in control of that. Do you know where thoughts come from? No. Do you know what a thought is? Nope. Nobody knows. I've been looking. I've been looking and I can't find a good definition. All of the um, definitions are um, tautologies that I can find, like um, to think. Well, I'm like, I want to know what thinking is. Like, you know, what's a thought? What is it is to, to think? We don't know because consciousness is mysterious. The only way I can understand it is through my Christian worldview of that there are things outside of me. And, and, and look, this sounds weird to some people. It's not. Um, ideas are outside of me, right? Ideologies are outside of me. Like if someone decides that they want to be a communist, they didn't invent communism. They were exposed to ideas that were external, and then they let some in. Mm-hmm. Other ideas we won't let in. But if we think that we have the moral guidance and understand God enough to just do it naturally, I think we're wrong. I think that we have to go outside of ourselves and let that God's will. And which means you better know what it is. You can learn that from the scriptures or through going to church and, um, you know, listen to sermons and um, prayer. But that's my only way of understanding that. But I know I'm not in control. And by knowing that there's a little bit of freedom in that where I don't get too arrogant about it or too overconfident. Mm -hmm. Um, and And now I can question that first thought and that first feeling. Yeah. And analyze it. Yeah. Analyze it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Test it. Test it, actually. Not just analyze it, but test it. Test that spirit. Did they literally talk about that when you were getting your doctorate? Okay. So I had to study it myself because um, psychology decided because we're materialists in this culture, Western psychology are materialists, which means if you can't observe it, then don't worry about it. So they thought that consciousness was epiphenomena right? Which means, oh, it's just something. Don't look the other way. Nothing here to see. But to me, that's the foundation of us as human beings. What's the experience? So I studied a type of psychology called phenomenology that um, helped me to look at that, that we don't discount consciousness. It may be a mystery, but we ought to describe it, observe it, and learn what's happening. Right. How has that helped you in your practice most? It helps me a lot because what I do is I focus on the experience of, of the person. Um, I, I don't just give advice. You ever notice that advice almost never works? What What should I do? And I'm, I'm pretty convinced that people don't even want the advice. They want to know if you agree with them or not. Um, you know what I mean? Even at your office, even sometimes with some of some patients. That's why I don't give, I tell them I don't give advice. I don't want to anyway. I don't want to live. I don't want the responsibility of telling someone what to do because if it doesn't work out and I don't know if it's going to work out or not, it doesn't mean I'm not doing anything. I'm helping someone arrive to their values and their decisions and, and things like that. For sure. That's important. Um, but, um, and that's why don't give unsolicited advice. It's just amazing how talk about the uh, problems in our culture right now. A lot of it is um, I disagree with you and I'm going to let you know. So I'm above you. You're, you don't know what I know. I've just elected myself as um, smarter than you or mm-hmm. 
more competent than you. And let me tell you what's wrong with how you're thinking. And we're not listening to one another. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Jeez. I mean, haven't you changed your mind? I've been alive for 54 years. I have the advantage of knowing that I really believe some things that I don't believe anymore. And then sometimes I've even gone back to the original mm-hmm. beliefs. Like I, I thought, oh, that was dumb. I wish I hadn't. Done. I liked it at the time. Then later on, I go, why did I do that? And then later on, I go, no, that was okay. There was something to it. There was something to it. So I'm not going to get overly confident with what I know. That's powerful. And, and when it comes to self-control, you can search the internet and you'll find all these steps to self-control. But what I found really helpful, and as I was diving into this, I realized there is a key to finding yourself amidst your lack of self-control. And that's the joke is how many people are truly in control of themselves. And I think the best question is, is this, you have to figure out, not just talk categorically. You have to say, this I am not in control of. This I have no self-control over. Because all of us want more self-control. We want more discipline, but you can't just say get more discipline. Right. So what you have to do is say, what is it that is fighting you for control in your life? Mm, That's a good question. What's fighting you for control in your life? What does Christianity say about that? And if we, well, it can come in all sorts of forms Mm -hmm. and there's stuff fighting you from outward, but most of the time, self-control is the only thing that we're invited to be in control of. Nowhere in the Bible does it say practice others control. I can only practice self-control. Well, God doesn't even do that, Matt. Right. God doesn't control us. That's the great mystery. Christ could, could have moved people around like pieces on a chessboard. Right. He wanted to, he didn't want to do that. No, he came alongside people. Yeah, he, they honor our self-control, our dignity, our personhood, our identity. The personhood of who we are is what I think it means to be made in the image of God. My personhood, who I am, can't be controlled because I'm made in the image of God. So I can choose for myself how I respond, how I react, what I focus on when I say no to stuff. And I think there's two aspects of self-control that hit us. What's fighting for control in your life? For some people, it's flesh stuff. And by that, I mean, we have no control over our actions, how we spend our money, how we spend our time, what we dive into, what we try to satiate ourselves with. It's like this story in the Bible. There's a man who has two sons. The younger son, is it's called the prodigal son, Luke chapter 15. The younger son says, Dad, give me all my stuff. I wish you were dead. I want it now. I'm not wait until you die to get my inheritance. And he runs off and spends it on loose living, on wild living, on partying, whatever. I think a lot of us have that tendency when it comes to what's fighting for control in my life. It's something in my flesh. It's some addiction. It's some habit. It's fantasizing, living out some other life. And we just want to lose total control of that. And that son actually has a a quote, quote unquote, come to Jesus moment, returns, comes to his senses, and he wants to return to his dad and just be like a servant, no longer a son. And he rehearses this whole speech. But I think a lot of what's fighting for our lives for some of us is that addiction, that lust, that greed, whatever it is. But there's others of us, and this goes to the second half of the story, not as many people know, there's an older brother in the story. The older brother never leaves home. He, I guess, is he tells his dad, he says, I've been working like a slave for you. 
because the dad welcomes back the younger son. The older son hears the party going on and says, what's going on and gets really pissed off. And we don't know if he goes into the party or not, but his dad comes out to talk to him. Some of us have no control over the flesh and the addiction side of things. Others of us, we have, are battling control over our minds over our emotions, over our attitudes, over our hurts, over our resentments, over our judgmental attitudes. And we can't control our attitudes. You know, we, we, we are in the box and we're not flying off the handle in some other way, but our attitudes show up big time. And I think in either case, what I would say is listen to the friends you know in the recovery community, because they have this great line that says, if you are hungry, or angry, or lonely, or tired. And if you're more than one of those, you really got to watch out, like, you know, hangry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then if you are more than just hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, what those four words spell out is the word halt. Stop. Push the pause button. You've got to stop. So my question is, if somebody says, how can I have more self-control in my life? I have to say to them first, can you name what it is in you that is battling for control? in your life? Is it a porn addiction? Is it some bitterness that you're hanging on to that's controlling you? It may only be 5%, but it's spilling over into your relationships, into your attitudes, into your ability to sleep. Gluttony, that's a big problem in, in America, right? right. E eating when we're not hungry. Because the first two things in the halt are passions. In Christianity, we talk about the passions and we have to, uh, to, to be careful and, and um, train ourselves to resist those passions, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think we are not going to get help for ourselves or we're not going to discover some solution until we can name what it is that's battling for control in our lives. Don't you think most people know that though? Pretty is pretty because so so people who are drinking too much or they, they notice how their body's changing because they you know can't seem to quit. So I do I agree that you have to name it so you can focus on it and do something about it. But I do think that deep down they know even if they deny it, like you're drinking too much, that's what you think. But there's something inside of them that knows it, especially if they get defensive because um, you know the, the the right answer is if you're drinking too much and you know it, you says yeah I know. I've been stressed. Not and uh, right, yeah, right. I'm not ready to give more it up yet. Control. I can't do it. I don't have self-control. Yeah. And all that does is it, it generalizes the problem. So mm -hmm. you're not going to get to the real issue. And one of the beauties of, of Christianity is the faith journey. I know is there's a beauty in confession where I can say, I do this. I don't want this. God, why are you giving this to me? God, is this from you or is this just me running with this? Why do I have this set of problems? Why do I lack self-control? And what I do is I confess this. The truth is there is no good thing that comes from my lack of self-control. Let me say that again. Mm -hmm. There is no good thing that comes from my lack of self-control. doesn't mean I'm not trying to control every situation in my life because you can't control other people. You Listen to your language. Um, Self-control. We're not talking about controlling others. We're not talking about controlling society. Or, yeah, exactly. We're talking about ourselves. But if we're honest, and maybe somebody needs to hear this, I, my, I need to own up to this. My lack of self-control is making my body hurt. It is making my relationships painful. It is making my life complicated. And, and I think we would say God, who wants us to have abundant life to the full, he wants us to deal with this. So I think what, two keys so far 
in self-control. One is realize if you're only 95% in control, that means that 5% is running your life subtly or blatantly. Number two, you have to answer this question brutally, honestly, what is fighting me for self-control in my life? What has me? Yeah. Right? What's fighting me for control? Rather than blanket. I need more self-control. I need more discipline. Mm-hmm. Be specific about it. Um, we call it um, in the Bible, they, they say you're a slave to sin. So people who are like, well, I'm free, so I can drink whenever I want. Um, I can drink during the day if I want to. Um, that's not freedom. You're a slave to that passion. Right. Right. Um, Jocko Willink, he's a Navy SEAL. He wrote a book called Discipline is Freedom. I hope I got that right. I think it, I bought, I bought copies for all my boys. I didn't buy it for my daughter because she already has it in spades. <laughs> She's like a, something else, a force. That is so true that the discipline, the, the more control you, you have, the, the more enriched your life is going to be. Right. I'm not trapped by going to the gym or following my prayer rule. I have taking my intention and moved it towards something, even if I don't feel like doing it that day. Mm-hmm. Right. That's freedom. That is freedom. Right. Uh, it's not freedom to say, I don't feel like going to the gym. And sometimes I'm not saying you have to, there aren't exceptions where maybe you ought to stay home or decide to stay home. Or I'm just going to blow my top right now. Yeah. The anger is the, the passion. I'm just going to post what I really think right now. Yes. Yeah. See, so I've been feeling bad. I don't do that. Not can't remember recently doing it, but I would start to feel bad about wanting to do it and then correcting it. And so if anyone else is doing that, we don't need to. I I was looking at the church fathers writing about that. We don't have to feel bad about that. If we act on it, we have to feel bad about it. But that's just a temptation. So if I want to tell somebody off or something, as long as I don't follow that temptation, I've resisted it. That's it. You know, it's a a victory. Being tested. Yeah. And being tempted. And following through with the temptation. Right, right. Yeah. You know, one other illustration that you're talking about freedom is for me skiing. Okay. The more disciplined I am at skiing, the more I can go all over the whole mountain and I'm not Mm -hmm. just stuck on the bunny hills. It's the same with life. I love it. It's the same with with spiritual practice too. That's a great analogy for spiritual practice. Going to church once a week and listening to a really good sermon and singing and feeling good and then forgetting everything else the day to day. I don't know if that's enough for some people. The whole point of a spiritual discipline is to engage the Holy Spirit, become closer to God, become more like Christ. And me, I need a lot of practice. I need a lot of tools to do that. It doesn't come naturally to me, at least. I don't know if it comes naturally to anyone. No, I believe that. Here's the other thing, though. You're pointing out your self-awareness of mm-hmm. the challenges that you face. And every one of us, whatever our challenge is, whatever that thing that's trying to take control of our lives is, we feel alone in that, chances are. Mm-hmm. And we can find plenty of communities online that are going to celebrate whatever it is that's trying to take control of our lives. I'm not talking about that. But if you can name what it is, if you can own what it is, what you need to hear is something that Paul, the apostle, wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has seized you. I love that word. Talk, talk about taking control. Remember I said it comes from outside. Yeah. It seizes us. Mm-hmm. We're not necessarily, it's not my um, intention to do something stupid. Suddenly I'm doing something stupid. What happened? Right. The key to self-control is finally admitting to God, admitting to yourself, I'm not going to be able to deal with this on my own. 
I'm not going to be able to deal with this on my own. And Paul wrote these words, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man and God is faithful. So the truth is your thing, whatever you're wrestling with, your thing is going to be an issue for a number of people. Mm -hmm. You are not alone. There are so many people wrestling with what you're wrestling with. Yeah. And it's also a reason to not judge other people for what they've done because you've done it. Come on, be honest with yourself. I've done it. You've done it. Or you've wanted to do it or you've done worse. Well, and the idea is this message, they talk at the Christian gospel. That simply means good news. The gospel is good news for out of control people. Yes. It's good news because you can name what it is as shameful as you think it might be, as rare as you think it might be. And you're going to be surprised. Now, here's a question because this is so countercultural. The stuff that is battling you you can find a hundred thousand people online who have embraced it. Yeah, that's true. Whether it's lust, whether it's just your hang up, whether it's your fetish, whether it's whatever it is. And here's the difference. Whereas, whereas Christianity would say, you know what? That's something worth tackling, but you got to name it. You can't just say in general, I need more discipline. I need more self-control mm -hmm. in my life. You've got to name it. And the, remember what I said, the beauty in confession that's what that is. And saying, I cannot get over this on my own. You admit that to God. You admit that to yourself. That is the best place that you could be. And then you realize you're not alone, that what you're dealing with is not uncommon for people. But we, we blind ourselves to that. We think we're the only one going through this. And, and here's why it's so different from our culture. Our culture says this, well, whatever that thing is that's really weighing you down or firing you up in the wrong way. That is who you are. Follow your instincts, follow your heart. If you deny this thing that's trying to take control of you, that's bad. But what Christianity is offering us, like you said earlier, what Jesus is offering to us is not a restriction. It's the biblical ethic. It's an offer toward life, toward goodness, toward like skiing, taking on the whole mountain. And it's toward flourishing. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it abundant, mm -hmm. have it to the full. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a word for what we're talking about when it comes to this self-control battle. And the word is holiness. Interesting. Holiness is not a part of our culture. It's a category that does not exist in our culture. You'll never hear it. You'll never see it on the news. You'll never hear about it in a cultural conversation. There's never going to be a series on Netflix that will take you there. It is completely out of cultural use. And I think that's a tragedy because this call to holiness is grace in and of itself. And here's what holiness does, especially when I'm thinking of self-control thing. Holiness rescues me from me. Yeah. yeah. Your will, not mine, Lord. Mm -hmm. Not my will. My will. Terrible. Holiness is, is what's going to rescue me from my selfish, my dark impulses to turn me into a person who loves and who serves and who's patient and humble and kind and merciful. It makes us beautiful. And, you know, it's interesting. If holiness would rule a culture, everything would be different. And there's a funny account of the Welsh revivals took place in Wales in 1904, 1905. And what happened was a whole bunch of people came to droves in Christ. They confessed they gave back stuff they stole. They mended their relationships. And this went on for several years. And the funny thing was, and this is documented in the newspapers, the police did not have anything to do. <laughs> yeah. They literally 
had nothing to do. So they formed themselves into like gospel choirs and quartets. Uh, Crime just dropped. And if you long for rescue, if you long for transformation and you're willing to admit, God, I can't do this on my own. How much in everyday life, this holiness is a thing that we care about. We got to seek that. Seek first the kingdom, right? And then see what happens because all those things that you need just sort of like as if by wizardry start to happen. That's been my experience when I'm doing it, though. So it's not like I've arrived there because it's so easy to get lost in the world. And before you know it, you're off. Before you know it, you're off the path, right? That's why we have to put God God first all the time. Um, That's what Christ said. Yeah. What does he want? Not what do I want? There's a word I think that is an emotion that kind of captures all of these other emotions. And we see it in the life of Christ. Like when he realized, okay, it's time for me to get on with my mission. I've taught and now I need to face the reason I came, which was to Mm -hmm. offer up my life. And, and Luke says, Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem where he was going to face the crowds, the religious leaders that were going to set up his arrest and where he would be captured, crucified, denied, betrayed, all of that stuff. And it says he set his face toward Jerusalem. And the word for that is his passion. I believe your passion, it doesn't mean you're passionate, you know, like a romance novel. Like I love that. Yeah. It's about suffering. It's about courage. And here's the thing. Everything you're going to face, if you, if you keep it under the context of passion, it's going to feel like courage. In other words, if you need to love somebody who's being difficult right now, that's going to take courage when you're called to love. That's how it's going to feel to you. Mm-hmm. If you need to stand up for truth in a messy situation, it takes courage. It feels like courage when you're standing up for truth. Even anger, when there's somebody that needs to be confronted, that anger is going to feel more like courage than anything. And it's suffering. It's enduring. It's the self-control that moves us from slavery to our emotions and into what we would say the suffering that leads to resurrection. The idea is redemption comes through pain. And it kind of leads to this question, and maybe this is a good place to wrap up, and we've got a lot more that we can talk about. But when it comes to one of the greatest decisions in your life, you're faced with two options. First option, are you going to take control of your life and run your feelings? Or... Are your feelings going to take control of your life and run you? And that's where this passion comes in. The passion is the undergirding or overarching emotion that allows us to run our feelings. Doesn't mean we deny our feelings. Doesn't mean we spew our feelings. We let them be the signals that God designed them to be in our lives. Mm. But we need this passion. And I would say passion for God's holiness, for this flourishing of human life in order to be able to tackle not self-control in general, but that thing in your life that is battling you right now for control. Yes. After the um, suffering comes the glory. That's, that's how it is. But in a hedonistic culture like ours, it's going to be a challenge. You want to avoid. Yeah. Everything is about um, comfort, comfort, comfort. And you just right? escape. Yes. And then um, kind of ironically or paradoxically, too much comfort will make you miserable. Mm-hmm. 
too much comfort will make you miserable. I think that would be something that you could think about to wrap up in this. Jesus said he set his face toward Jerusalem. He didn't set it for the Mediterranean ocean beach, you know? Mm -hmm. So my question would be, what's your Jerusalem? Is it holy or is it just some fad? Is it some hot topic? Is it some comfort thing for you? Is it some inspirational article that, that somehow got you all fired up about something? Or is it what God wants in your life? Hey, let's pray. Let's. Lord God, I thank you so much that you don't just want to deal in generalities in our lives. And just like a finely tuned surgeon to go in right where you need to go, a finely tuned psychologist that is able to hone in on what the real thing is. Your invitation to self-control means us admitting to ourselves what's trying to wrest self-control from us. And we confess that to you. Confession is beautiful. And we thank you, God, that you have given us passion not to embrace everything that, that we just say we are, everything that's battling for us and roll over and play dead, but that you have invited us to find our Jerusalem, our God-given mission, and that you have wired us for that. And Lord, I pray that we would set our faces toward Jerusalem, whatever that looks like in our lives. And let that passion help us in receiving your grace, receiving your goodness, not being run over by our emotions or our feelings or whatever that thing is. And so we offer ourselves to you again. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. You can check out the show notes from this episode, get free resources, discover more about our work, and all the ways to subscribe so you never miss an episode of the show. Head over to drmartinfletcher.com.